Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for Prince Avalanche. What about the equal time agreement? The equal time boombox agreement doesn't apply in this case, all right? That's just for recreation. Oh, come on! Hey, we got a lot of lines to paint, and it's a very long road. I suggest you start the machine and keep it going. Okay, Alvin. Yeah? You have your tool belt on backwards. You gonna hit it in with your hand? Right? When you were out here by yourself, didn't you get lonely? I reap the rewards of solitude. Huh? <sighs> I get so horny out here in nature, don't you? Enjoy your hot fish. Here's to fire in our hearts. <laughs> you shouldn't smoke. I know it's bad for you. No, I mean, you shouldn't smoke. You look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting paid today. Let go! Get off me! How did you live your life up to this point without knowing how to gut a fish or build a tent or tie a knot? How did you live this long and not kill yourself for being such a boring loser who thinks he's so smart and good at everything? For your information, you're not! I thought that this job would be good for me to figure out a way to be happy with my life. I just need an adventure. There's birds in here. What? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Elvis Mitchell, and tonight's guests, Paul Rudd, Emil Hirsch, and David Gordon Green. Well, first of all, Paul, how's Oprah? <laughs> She's great. Okay. Elvis. I, I got to t meet her. I talked to her for about 12 seconds. <laughs> That's about all the Oprah you need. But let me, I'll ask, I'll start with you, Emil. When did you first see the original version of, of the movie? Um, I, I first saw... Um, either or either way, uh, right after we wrapped. I'd been looking forward to seeing it, just to see what, what, uh, what, the, what they did with it and how the, the actor that uh, played the character that was based on the character that I played uh, did it. And I, after I saw it, I was actually very relieved that I hadn't watched it. Um, just because, uh, you know, you never know how that's gonna affect your interpretation. And, you know, I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe I would have screwed it up or maybe screwed it up. I don't know. I have no idea. But Basically, I know nothing about anything ever. So I, I'm sorry. But no, your take was so different on it. So I just wondered if it was good for you. And obviously it was to not see it. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, the temptation might have been to, for me, would just to have been to play it similar to uh, what that actor did, uh, which was fine and, 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 and good. But I just, you know, 
actors are always tempted to be parrots if they get the chance, and uh, I just didn't want to get you know pigeonholed into a parrot. You know, I don't, I don't know. Any I more like, birds? I like, I like I the double bird analogy. That's really, yeah. it's really very avian. Look, that guy here. just gave me the bird. Okay. I'm going to move away from the birds. And when did you see the movie? I uh, I saw it before we started shooting. I when David called me and told me about this idea, he sent me the DVD and I I watched it and uh, never thought about it once we were shooting. Uh, I didn't have that. I didn't have that concern that I was going to maybe pick something up that he, he had done. but And maybe it was because he was just speaking Icelandic the whole time. <laughs> uh, and I just didn't know what he was doing. Because I don't understand the language. Um, but I know some Bjork songs. You might want to save those for later to do the Q&A part of the year. Okay. David, when did you first see the movie? How far back does it go for you? Uh, I saw the movie in February of 2012. Uh, I had found a location in Bastrop, Texas, about an hour outside of Austin that I really was passionate about making a film in, uh, in the state park that had been uh, devastated by a wildfire. And when I, when I saw this place, I, um, I wanted to make a movie there before it turned green again and before it really, um, I wanted to capture the rebirth of the park after everything had been destroyed, homes had been destroyed, you know, thousands and thousands of trees singed and you know the forest floor was all ash uh and while i was thinking about what a cool backdrop this would be as a film i was introduced to uh to either way and i watched it immediately thinking this would be a great film to relocate and remake in um in bastrop so that was that was february of 2012 we filmed the movie in may and we're sound mixing in july so it was an incredibly quick very efficient type of production, which is unusual, but it was a lot of fun working with these guys and um, working with the material, trying to pay respect to the Icelandic version, but also personalize it and make sure um, it came from within us. But the Icelandic version is really spooky. It's almost like a lunar landscape. It's really like a lot of rocks and dirt. It doesn't have that. They both look like these kind of weird blasted landscapes, but the Icelandic one looks just really desolate. And in Bastrop, it just, you can sort of imagine what it looked like before the fire hit it almost. Yeah, it was beautiful, and, and, and I think being a part of the rebirth was, was, was interesting. There's a very vibrant green uh, forest floor of, of seedlings uh, starting to emerge. Even within the three weeks that we shot the film, you could see um, that rebirth kind of in the background subtly enhancing the, um, the character arc that the actors were going through, I think. Okay, maybe you can answer a question for me, you guys. Which of you is Prince and which is Avalanche? Because I'm kind of confused by the title of the film. Yeah, you might answer, be better at answering that question than... I, I don't have a very good answer. I thought it was a cool title for a movie. Uh, and it, Either way, I thought if you had a movie about two guys out in the woods together called Either Way, it might imply things that this movie wasn't about. Um, so I thought Prince Avalanche, just, it implied royalty, but also some sort of rugged manliness. Um, right? It sounds like a Sigur Ross album. I was wondering what that had to do with anything. Uh, see, I thought it sounded like a brand of cigarette. <laughs> Yes, yeah, very North Carolina when you put it that right. way. But I'm if you think about it, Alvin and Lance, if you say the names together, it does sort of While sound you're like drunk. Avalanche. <laughs> yeah, they're, char they're characters. That, this is Lance, and that's Alvin. Well, tell me about the first time you guys met Paul, because I got Emil's take a couple of days ago. When you first, you first sat down with Emil, what was that like? 
the first time I, I met Emil on this movie, I'd, we'd never met before, and um, I'd seen his films and was a fan of his, but we didn't know each other at all. And, and this thing came together so quickly, we didn't really even have time to rehearse. So I met Emil. You were struck by what a jackass I was. Oh, to completely. <laughs> no. uh, we, had we had dinner, I think, the night before, or two nights before, before yeah. we started shooting. Really? We that like that? Yeah. And the gr one of the great things is that because this was all kind of taking place in this park, we were able, and one location, we were, for the most part, able to shoot in sequence. So as these two characters are getting to know each other throughout the movie, so were Emil and I. And uh, I think it kind of comes across in some, some kind of subconscious and unconscious ways. Yeah, and uh, we had like, there was like a little kind of holding cabin where, where they put all the wardrobe in the morning where we would go and change into the different outfits and stuff. And that was actually a really good kind of station base where we would sometimes, you know, go over the scenes or discuss, discuss scenes for a little bit and just make sure we had the material uh, on lockdown uh, before we would go out into the, into the woods. Had you ever done that before, David, where you just introduced the cast and threw them right into it, basically? You didn't have a whole lot of time beforehand? Yeah, I, 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 I typically enjoy a, a degree of preparation, but I, I know when we do, um, I work on this HBO series, Eastbound and Down, and that's, that's, we, it, there's never a moment of, of consideration. It's just chaos. Uh, cameras roll, everybody starts talking trash, and, uh, and we, we, let, we let the lions loose. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely experienced in that. Um, you know, when you when you when you have the time and the luxury and can afford to have a little bit of rehearsal time and have everybody do the introductions, that that can be a really fulfilling process. But in this case, as Paul said, I think really the spontaneity uh, and the intuition, the instinct that we all had was was put to the test in in a really wonderful, very um, very enjoyable production. Uh, so I, I can't say it uh, it did us any harm just to um, to to kind of make the run and gun version. And I think that like when, when Paul and I first met after we went out to dinner, you know, we went out to a bar and I think we met up with a couple of friends that we knew in Austin and uh, we just had a great time. And I think that we like, we just conversationally, we just had a good rapport. And I think we both recognized that right away that we got along in that way. And I think that that's something that no amount of rehearsal, you know, can can kind of give you if you know if you have like a chemistry with somebody in that way. Because what I think is kind of cool about the movie, and I said this to you guys before, is that David, you often write these guys who have to talk in monologues, who are in effect talking to themselves anyway. So Paul is playing that character here, but you you got an audience who doesn't really believe anything he says. And maybe my favorite scene was when you have to explain to him what a chiropractor is. I mean, that's a really kind of great moment. Was it? Did you get a real sense of that guy just basically loving the sound of his own voice a little bit? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, there, um, <laughs> I also like just the kind of that th that moment you're talking about in particular, like that. Just it's a very emotional, vulnerable scene, and talking about this guy and he's a chiropractor, and then it just takes a left turn and we just start kind of talking about what a chiropractor is and it's incongruous to what the emotion of the scene is and uh, those kinds of uh, left turns and just banal exchanges uh, I love that kind of stuff and, and I think that, that this character like you say is a guy who loved to talk and, and loved to um, kind of inflate his own sense of self by letting him know how um, the right way and wrong way to do things 
Yeah, talk about that scene a little bit too, Emilio, because I really do, we talked about this the other night when I saw you, but I do love that scene a lot, just the idea of this emotional undercurrent just completely going off the tracks and you start pushing more and more about chiropractic. Um, well, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's a mix of someone who's trying to be understanding, but then he's also very honest about what he does and doesn't know. And then is, you know, he's sort of honest, but then he does try to cover and he's like, oh, well, remind me again. You know, uh, I think that there's, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's room for, for honesty and, 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 uh, you know, shady, uh, lies at the same time. I don't know. I, did that make any sense? Well, at I, all? I think it's like it, it's a strange sense of humor to the movie. It's not not a comedy, but I think I there, there's a, a com comedic value in some of the awkward exchanges. And as we're exploring the emotional exploits of these guys, I think making sure that there's a, a human quality, a naturalism, and awkwardness to it that we can all laugh at and 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 really engage in the the humor and humanity of these guys. It's something I've said to you before, David, that you make comedies that don't have jokes in them. I mean, it's all about the sort of the weird chemistry and people's sort of really not quite connecting in conversational terms. Where does that come from? Uh, I, I think that comes from just, uh, I like to sit around eavesdropping on people and, and finding, uh, finding the weird ways people communicate with one another. And I find that a lot more humorous oftentimes than jokes uh, in the traditional setup and payoff structured type of humor. Um, I don't know, I think it, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a humor in vulnerability, and there's a humor in things that aren't funny, um, and there's uh, sometimes a sadness in humor. So I, I really like to play it for the complexity that it is, and not necessarily for the, in the obvious way. Uh, I, I like humor that is layered in drama. I like it, that it when it's backed up with some sort of architecture that gives it substance and not just um, out of the blue wit. Well, this is the point where I should maybe ask you, David, to tell the audience exactly what the movie's about. So, oh, what's the movie Since about? the movie, the title gives so much away, but oh, let's yeah. tell them a little bit anyway. Well, it, it, it is about pa Paul's character takes Emil's character under his wing. Um, this is the younger brother to his girlfriend in the film, and he's giving him a, a, an opportunity to, to step up and show responsibility for once in his life. He plays a very, uh, at least in his own head while he's wearing his mask, is very mature and responsible and a man's man, a man of, of the world. And Emil's character is just, you know, looking for the next party. Can't wait to get back to town, out of the woods and, you know, get laid and get drunk. And, and get back to the big town of Garland, which <laughs> what killed me. That completely cracked which, me Which up. I grew up right next door to Garland. So that was uh, my own little commentary to my, my neighbors. Um, <laughs> but so it's kind of about the, it's kind of the odd couple dynamic, and um, it's about how they live in this kind of isolated existence, uh, and how they live in, in in their own heads and in the strange dynamics. I mean, there's only four characters in the whole film, uh, two of which kind of come in and go in a, in a kind of mystical fashion. It's mostly these two guys and and their relation uh, to each other as they're trying to deal with the effects of their relationships uh, back home that they left behind. We should take a look at a clip right now that gives a little understanding of exactly the odd chemistry that these two guys have. Hey, Alvin. Yeah? I lied to you. I do have my eye on someone that's a girl. Yeah? Her name is Maggie Johnston. She's a total goddess. I've been working on her for a while. Nice. But I kind of messed it up, though. I lost her to my friend Kip, but... I think they were on the road to splitting up if the way she was behaving last time I saw her at the dance club was any indication. Problems in the relationship? Probably by now. Was she uh, giving off signals? Signals? Yeah. Well, 
She was making out with me in the toilet, if that's a signal. What? Someone knocked on the door. Probably would have gone full lamb chop if no one had knocked. With your friend Kip's girlfriend? Yeah. Probably ex-girlfriend by now. What's something I said to you before, D David, too? You made a movie in the 21st century where there's smoking and no swearing, which is some kind of an achievement. Yeah, it, it is weird. This, this movie's rated R, but it's like the least rated R movie that's ever been rated R. I can, there's, there's no profanity, violence, sex, or nudity in this movie, uh, but it's rated R because uh, someone gives a character the middle finger and Emile's character simulates jacking off. Under a blanket. Under a blanket. You know, so watch out, zombie decapitation. We got this rough and tumble <laughs> flick with a hard R rating. Um, it, it is, but it's interesting. We kind of tried to come up with our own vocabulary in a sense to give the characters a naive quality. So speaking instead of like we, you know, instead of saying something more vulgar, he says he would have gone full lamb chop, whatever that means. Um, uh, and, and Think we, about it though. You can get creative. You know, the MPAA obviously did. Um, but, um, it, it, but a lot of that was in kind of the design to have more of a naive conversation where these, these guys are certainly of age, but in a weird way, it's this coming-of-age film about who they are, and they call each other dummies and jerks and make muscles in threatening fashions and all these things that I find very childlike and humorous. Was that kind of a thing you guys had worked out between yourselves, too, that you weren't going to use any profanity at all, just because it does make it really weirdly dreamlike, the way these guys talk to each other? Well, you know, the, the first time we saw it, we saw this movie, and it was in Icelandic, and they're... And they um, swear all the time. And they swear, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yes, and, but, and David had written this script, and there were some things that were read in the script, like subtitled version of an Icelandic film. So there was... There was this, our version had its own strange rhythm to it and its own kind of musicality, uh, at times, it felt like we were doing an American version of a European film. And, you know, like uh, Dave was saying, you know, you'd say, you'd say lamb chop or say some different thing. You know, Emil says, have you ever done that? It, it, it's, a, it's a great deal. Uh, what is, what is, what's the line where it's, we're changing the it took time? took a great length of time. It, it took a great length of time. Um, nobody says things like that. And there, there are these kind of awkward turns of phrase that um, really, I think, created its own musicality. And, and to uh, use profanity in some way would, I think, interfere with that a little bit. No, just so it felt like this is the way these guys kind of talk to each other. And was it unusual language for you, Emil, as well? Did it feel comfortable to you? I actually really enjoyed uh, the kind of, the, the you could call them limitations because we're not swearing, but they, they it ended up really kind of, expanding the humor for me and I started to see what was so funny about it and just the, 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 the innocence and the playful language of it I actually started to really find hilarious and, and the fact that we weren't swearing all the time just became more and more funny to me and the, and the weird ways we would get around swearing just you know have ended up like the full lamb chop or going all Jim Henson you know yes yes Yes, it's not a swear word. Yes is not a swear word. But it's, it's, it's kind of great, too, because I was just almost finding myself thinking about when you work with Jim Brooks and you had a really kind of stylized way of talking, too. It's almost like you adopt a conversational pattern for each character you play, isn't it? 
it's a yeah, and it's the part of the fun of working on one thing as opposed to something else. There's a real uh, there's a real specific way of speaking, and sometimes it's subtle. Um, and other times, you know, I look at a movie like one of my favorite movies is Cool Hand Luke, and the way they talk in that movie is unlike any other movie I've ever seen. And you just it you enter that world because you you just get in sync with their rhythms and the patterns and their phrases and things. And although, the, and Paul, I have to tell you, you remind me so much of my uncle Doug in this movie. He has a mustache. He is like a farmer. Like he is like a, the man. Like it, it's scary. I don't think I ever told you this, but my uncle Doug, like it's crazy. Like there is a guy. Cool. Out there. <laughs> Sorry, Doug. No, Sorry. I, I, you didn't ever mention that to me. And I, I, where is Doug? He's in Tennessee. He has his own farm. Oh yeah. What kind of farm? Uh, pigs. I'm gonna leave you guys to talk amongst yourselves for a while. If Horses. <laughs> Horses. No, he like he's really into it. It's oh. incredible. That's great. <laughs> One of the things that these, you talking about Tennessee, and there's a real southern rhythm in the way that you construct movies, David. I mean, people who are constantly talking at each other, this sort of stream of patter that almost comes out of the fact that it's so hot, there's nothing to do but drink beer and talk. And, and I feel that in a lot of the films that you've done, this sort of constant talk to people. A do. lot of respect for the South. You have nothing to do but drink beer and talk. Well, <laughs> I, but, but I think there's a, there's, a, there's a music to the banter and certainly, I, I don't know, I, I pride myself on being a great listener and, and, and observer and, and trying to emulate that somewhat in the projects that I work on. Um, the other thing I'd say that goes into the, the pacing of this movie is that's really a special signature is um, Explosions in the Sky uh, did the score for it. And along with David Wingo. Along with David Wingo. And, uh, and there's a really... Kind of um, those of you that are familiar with the band know that they have this kind of epic rock sound, and here there's a there's a vulnerability to their music, and and they they added some instrumentation that is a little unfamiliar to them, with clarinets and vocals and beatboxing and things that I think really brought um, uh, brought out another character uh, of the film, and also gave us this this kind of strange Texas pace to it. So I, I don't know having. Having uh, the musicians on set and integrating them into the process creatively was a really valuable part of the um, part of the overall tone of the film, I believe. I want to ask you a little bit because I talked with you the other night about this, Emil. But this is the first time you played a character who wasn't super intense. I mean, these guys don't seem to be grinding their teeth. These guys you're playing—they're like really hyper. And this is like the most relaxed character you've ever played. Where did that come from? Um, I think it just it started in the writing and um, and then as I was sort of just working on the part just trying to trying to find a way that you know uh, if uh, where I felt comfortable in my own skin kind of saying the lines and being in the scenes and I think also uh, once I started working with Paul you know we we were so kind of uh, we had such an easy rapport rapport with each other so naturally that I think I just got more and more relaxed um, and it was just, it was like, for me, I, I, he says a lot of really vulgar things uh, where I think if you say them in, a, in, a, in the wrong way, you know, it could be very uh, nasty or, or not unforgivable, but just harder to, to get into that character or to understand what's really going on with him. I think that making him a little bit more innocent and relaxed uh, and kind of confident in his goofiness, I think, uh, you know he can get away with saying some of the stuff that he says, which is, like, pretty awful at times. Um, 
But as you were talking about this, I was realizing, just um, watching some stuff to get ready for this, you played a lot of really judgmental characters, Paul. I mean, lots of people who want other people, you want them to know what you think of them. And, and this guy seemed to be have the least sense of humor of any of these. How do you figure out how to play that guy and, and not, sure, sure, not, not telegraph how you feel about the character? Well, I think that... Um you know, any character you're playing, you got to get into the... Uh, I, I just try and zero in on what's empathetic about them. Um, realizing his um, limitations, his insecurities, and, uh, and kind of accepting the fact that maybe he's not everything he wants to be or thinks he is... Um, and, you know, you just try and be the person and not comment on the person. To me, this actually feels, of all the things you've done, David, the most like a, like a 70s film. I mean, in some ways it reminds me of Scarecrow or one of those kinds of movies. And, and I just wonder how much 70s films were a real inspiration on this one. Um, I mean, they're an inspiration to everything. Movies like Scarecrow are, are fundamental in just my enthusiasm for making films, particularly in a character piece. I don't know if anybody's seen that movie. It's Al Pacino and Gene Hackman in an early 70s film uh, that Jerry Schatzberg directed. And, and, um, just and a lot of it was improvised, too, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's got the greatest edit in, in movie history is in that film when the two characters are sitting at a diner, and it's like a five-minute shot of them having a conversation. And then Gene Hackman orders a beer and a chocolate donut, and they crack them both. They, they both start cracking up, and then right as they start to lose it, they edit it out of the scene. It was just like a beautiful, um, uh, beautiful little window into the lives of these two characters that had that uh, honest vulnerability that we talked about a lot in, in the production of this movie. So um, 70s films like had a great sense of natural and, uh, naturalism and embraced the environment and... I think there was a there was a uh, an appetite for audiences to to take a chance beyond just high concept, beyond just a high profile novel or or, or property of, of extravagance to um, to check in on a on just a on a guy's life and watch a movie like Five Easy Pieces, um, you know things that weren't necessarily extraordinary, but by looking at them intimately, they become very interesting. And and, and I, I I don't know I, I I look at that that time period in. in film history as, as a real awakening where lens flares were invited, um, uh, long takes uh, that felt less staged, uh, the camera really becoming a character in the, in the process I think was, was um, um, uh, I don't know, a, r a real progress as far as uh, the stepping away from uh, things that were so designed and so conceived and so rehearsed, you really found that kind of spontaneity and it felt that much more alive. Yeah, embracing the rough edges in a, in, a, in a way. Did you ever sense, Emil, that this felt different from anything you'd done before? Because it really is a different kind of movie for you and a really different performance. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, was, I was so beside myself with excitement to get a work with, with David and Paul that the whole time it, it, we were shooting so fast. It was only a 16-day shoot. So every day just felt like this new and exciting big day where there was big scenes and, and, and we, it was just constant moving because sometimes what happens when you work on bigger movies, you just it, it, it sort of does get boring because you're doing the same thing all day. It's like a page. You're doing the same thing. This is like you could shoot seven pages. You really felt a sense of activity. And, um, and yeah, and, and I could never pin down uh, exactly what kind of movie we were even making. And I'll take it even further, I could never pin down whether or not we were actually making a movie because the script was only 60 pages long and it was only a 16-day shoot. And because of Paul and 
mainly Paul and David. I assumed it was going to be a, a, you know, a, like a, a movie, but then I'd ask David on set, I'd say, hey, is this going to be a movie? And David was very cagey with me. He was very sneaky. He would look at me and he'd say, I'd say, David, is this going to be a movie, right? And he's like, I don't know. And then he'd, and I'd say, well, what do you mean you don't know? Like, like maybe it will go to a festival? And he goes, maybe we'll just like show it to our friends and family over dinner at a nice barbecue by a fire. And I was like, okay. So I, I genuinely didn't even, I wasn't really sure if it was a movie when we made it because David was being very sneaky with me. Was he dissimilar with you? Well, you know, uh, we, I think, went into it in a very different mindset than you, we would in going into starting something else because it did feel like an experiment. Um, something was made, I think, after, after word got out that we had done this movie, I remember hearing like, people asking, you guys made like a secret movie, and it wasn't really that. We just didn't go through the regular channels that a lot of people go through when you make a movie, which is announcing it to the trades and you do all this stuff. And it was the the intention behind it was actually much purer, and that was to go out and tell a story and see what that story like, kind of discover the story as we were filming it without certain limitations, because we were doing it strictly as um, an artistic venture, and. Uh, and something that we were passionate about. And, and so there was a bit of a freedom um, because we didn't really know exactly what it was. I, f I kind of figured it was a movie, <laughs> but I didn't know whether or not it would ever be seen. I certainly didn't know if it would ever get distribution. I think that's an interesting accent. Is, is the, the approach was so personal that we had no major expectations on the film. There wasn't a huge budget we had to recoup, so we weren't like, you know, the movie comes out in a week on August 9th on iTunes and video on demand in the theater. Uh, but we didn't have that, we don't have that <laughs> pressure that you would typically have with a release. And, and I wanted to follow through with a movie that just meant something to us. Every frame meant something to us collectively. I say us and also the, the crew of the film, which was a very small, intimate group of probably 15, 20 people on the whole crew and people that I've known for the most part very well over the years. Um, and by stripping it all away, making it really meaningful to us, I think strangely, subconsciously, Accidentally, it has probably become my most accessible film. The one that I think people relate to more than most of the strange efforts that I that I've um, undertaken, and uh, and it's really a it's a joy to watch it with an audience and watch an audience respond sometimes dramatically, sometimes humorously to the movie. But to see something that you invest so much of yourself in actually translate um, when you didn't you weren't quite sure it would, and that wasn't part of the engineering of it. Uh, it's really rewarding. Well, something you said to me at Sundance, which is something that no director's ever said to me before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think of it? It's like, what do you, <laughs> what do you think it is? And no director's ever like asked me something like that after a movie before. Yeah, well, I'm still curious. I'm not really sure in it, but I think part of the discovery of the uh, of the process of making the film is is the discovery of watching an audience embrace the film or reject the film or um, interpret the film in certain ways. So I'm really interested in in um, how it's received, and it's been a fun road. Um, yeah, I guess you had a... Hello. Um, it seems like a movie like this is pretty open and free. Was a lot of it scripted, or did you guys improvise? Because it feels like an improvised movie, but it seems like you had a script. Um, did you improvise freely, or was it just on the moment kind of thing? Or 
it, it, you know, it was based on this Icelandic film, so we had a great structure. I got to plagiarize all the, the wonderful elements of it for my screenplay, uh, and, then I, and, I, and then I modified some of it and brought other characters in. And um, At the same time, we, we did... Uh, improv is always an option. If, 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 if you're feeling something, say it. Uh, the script is not sacred. There's a character, one of the four characters in the movie was not in the screenplay. She was just someone that we, we were introduced to in the middle of production and integrated her into the story. And I love having those kind of detours. Yeah, talk about that, because that's a really pivotal moment that separates this from, the, uh, from either way. Right, there's a woman that um, Paul's character has a, a weekend alone as Emil's gone into the big city. And he meets a woman who is looking through the ashes of her home and... and uh, has a has a very unique perspective on the devastation of the environment in her home and um, and every word that she says was basically just documented by us and the camera navigated by Paul and it was so beautiful and vulnerable and poignant that it really affected uh, the tone of the movie and we we invited her back to to participate as a character and we'll, we'll work some scenes with her into it in a very kind of magical way uh, that you could never have designed and you could never have cast someone that had this accessibility, this fragility, and so having that process um, of, you know, you could say that's improvisation, um, uh, is, is really valuable. A lot of it's scripted, you know, there's some great scenes that these guys save verbatim of what's in the, in, in the script, and it was a 60, 64 page screenplay, so there's a lot of room to play, let it breathe. Uh, I was really um, excited to make an hour and a half movie as opposed to the two and a half hour films that have been all over the summer box office. Which gets a little frustrating. I get an itchy butt after two hours. It's, it's too exhausting watching watching long ass movies all the time. They don't all deserve it, you know. So I thought it'd make it'd be a real a breath of fresh air to make a, a a character piece of a of a modest length. Um, and yeah, that's. The and movie. the one thing that I would add to it is some of those scenes that I think you perceive as improvised were actually sticking to the script, but it was the way that Paul and I were working with each other where we were really relaxed and kind of just comfortable to where it, it just felt real, you know? Um, I actually caught it last night at BAM, and I friggin' loved it. Um, I just wanted to ask a quick question. Um, I, you know, the overalls, the red and green shirt, uh, Alvin's special ability and his mustache. I mean, come on, w were there any Super Mario <laughs> sort of things going on? We did notice that right away. In the wardrobe fitting, we were like looking at each other. That that was intentional. Our our costume designer Jill Newell um, went to great lengths to try to recreate our nostalgic childhood favorite video game. And you know, we, we I, I I haven't seen the Super Mario Brothers movie in a really long time. Um, but I had grown that mustache, knowing that I you know I I wanted to have a this mustache. I knew and I knew I wanted these glasses and I um, and I did all that unaware that I'd be wearing overalls uh, and that there would be any kind of Super Mario Brothers uh, look to it. That, that's just a happy accident, I guess. You know what it's kind of like? It's kind of like if Super Mario Brothers took over the military and then there was like an apocalypse. It's kind of what the world would look like. Was this um, a pain in the neck? It was very hot. In the making? It yeah. was, I will say this. It was very hot, and there was lots of mosquitoes everywhere. Uh, so, technically, yes, it was. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great question. It 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 really is. I mean, we, it, you know, the air in that uh, forest was. Uh, we you could smell the the charred 
trees that uh, it was thick, it was hot. Those overalls were actually flame retardant. So they were really thick. It was, uh, it, it wasn't really the most comfortable shoot, but it wasn't a real pain, I think, because... Except that one day you got that thing in your eye, though. Yeah, that's right. What was that? Oh, when you couldn't stop crying? I couldn't stop <laughs> crying. I had a thing that happened in my eye. I have a contact lens, and something went, like, kind of weird with this contact lens. It was and unbelievable. It, and, uh, and I couldn't... It, we actually affected the way we had to shoot the scene, because I was like, just... It looked like I was just crying a lot. And it was when Emil was explaining this weekend that he had, it made no sense that I would be emotional over it. <laughs> I tried my hardest to make it seem like that would work, and but he, it didn't. And he had, the, he, he had a handkerchief, and he kept on dabbing his eye in the scene with it, but it was... <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Wow, let's see somebody follow up that question now. Who's, who's next? Who's brave enough to ask one? Because I was going to ask, uh, before you get to that question... Um, when did you guys feel like you got the character? I mean, would you feel like it, like, is there like a certain point as during the shoot, like when things just kind of really clicked in for you? Uh, well, for me, it was, it, it had all been building up and building up. And then when we, we finally, we'd kind of gone through the script once and Paul and I had been talking, but it was really the first day where I felt like we started to kind of nail down uh, the characters. Because, I mean, it, we shot a lot the first day. So, I mean, we shot the amount you would normally shoot in the first week on the first day. So, so it was, uh, that to me was a big kind of learning curve. You know, it was the scene where I come up to you with the comic book and you're like, don't write in that. It was it was that scene, and and we did a lot of uh, a lot of different ways and, and and other scenes that day too. But I feel like that was it makes sense that it would be the first day. No, I just wonder because sometimes it's not for actors. Was it early on for you too? You feel you kind of finally nailed this guy and got who he was on set. Uh, you know, I have always found that sometimes you, you kind of discover the character as it goes along. Um, and sometimes that can be a frustrating thing because it makes you think, oh, I would have done that scene differently because I feel like I made a discovery about this person uh, late in the game. And it doesn't mean you, know, you go into it on a, as a blank page. You can do a lot of work. You can kind of create as much backstory, I think, for a character before you start shooting. But I, I always believe that who you are is really dictated a lot by, by the other people. And if you're really reacting to what it is that they're doing, the character can change. And I think it's important to be open to kind of go with that change and, and discover things while it's going, uh, while it's going along. So uh, in the trailer that you just showed, um, there's one part where, I guess, Paul, you look like you're stressed out, but you're just trying to, I guess, prove that you're content with where you're living, what you're doing, uh, and you're drinking a beer and you're hanging out by the lake. But... I think it, the trailer you farted, or do you, do you uh, was that was that recorded later? Like, how, how do you do that? It was not real. I have really farted in a movie before, though. <laughs> I, I know I saw that in the trailer. Like, people are gonna think I just fart in movies now. But there, you know, it was like that's a it's a weird it's a weird thing. I uh, sometimes when they m make trailers. They'll take little things to try and make, like, oh, this is a funny little moment. Or, or um, What I like about actually that moment and, and is that it isn't a moment. It's just I sat down and it's just a, you know, a 
quick shift, and then you go into the scene. It's never, it's never, it's not, a, it's weirdly like not going for a laugh. It's not anything. It's just a very human moment, and it's not really commented on, except Emil, who just goes, oh, farts. And then we just go right into our conversation. I feel like I'm trying to deconstruct a fart moment. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't even try. Yeah, I think that's a, come on, man. <laughs> Do you want to comment on that moment, David, too? Since was that, how, was, how did we, how, because that's in the original, right? Doesn't Farts? he fart in the original? I'm sorry, I remember this. But yeah, I think I do. it does. Yeah. But was it like a, right was now. it like a, was it like a, a, a Foley artist? Uh, well, Darius. The, the actual fart was uh, Darius, our behind-the-scenes guy, and the, it's the same fart that is used <laughs> later in the movie. There's a scene where Emil's uh, making uh, mu little mustard art on in the, on the canvas of his tent floor, and we use the same fart sound to be the squeezing of the mustard. Oh, really? If you really want to get into I it, I love yeah. that so kind wait, of stuff. The squeezing I of the mustard. Like, I I also noticed that the baby that laughs in Baby Geniuses always laughs the same laugh, uh, <laughs> like throughout the whole movie. Like, check that out. Seriously. No, let's not. Is there another question? <laughs> Hi. Uh, I just wanted to ask if you had fun using like the tools and machines and all that like heavy cars and things like that. Yeah, it really, it was great. Um, I, li I loved the idea that we were going to be painting lines. I just thought it was an interesting job. Was that hard to do to stay in the center? Because I've always wondered about it's, that. Um, it, it was a little tricky. Uh, and that, that one in that actually was uh, a machine from that time. I think they've updated them. Uh, but they're kind of hard to, to control. Yeah, yeah and you don't want to stick your hand in it. There's a bar on it that, it, it's like a, a, a lawnmower, that it, if you hold it, it will automatically go forward. But you have to manually adjust the, the uh, paint and where it starts. And to kind of get it uh, to stop and start where you want it to is, is you take some practice, but it was so fun to do it. It really was. Yeah, and the funny thing is, though, is that some of the roads that we painted the yellow lines on were so small that if someone were to drive within those lines, they would drive off the road, <laughs> off of a, maybe a cliff. So we had to get some insurance clearances and stuff. Yeah, David, did you want to train those guys on this? Because I've always thought that looks like really hard work, just staying in the center of the road. Well, actors are known to really commit to their roles. You know, you read about a, um, you know, an actor that's going to be in a, in a movie about a drug addict and they go uh, mess around with heroin, or an actor that's going to get um, you know, uh, ripped up and play an action hero has to go, you know, whether they admit it or not, likes to go juice up a little bit with some roids. Um, and we didn't have uh, those type of thrills to offer these guys but we did offer them all the paint that they cared to squeeze onto the road. And before there's any more baby genius talk, let's thank Paul Rudd, <laughs> David Gordon Green, and Emil Hirsch. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, guys. Thank you. <laughs>